Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business, or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Linney. All right, guys, welcome back to Construct Your Life podcast. Austin Linney here. We have the honor of having Anthony Facino. Did I say it right? Probably not. You nailed it. Yeah, I you did it in one. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Yes, because normally I just skip the last name if I can't understand it, guys. So if you ever hear me do that, that's really what I'm doing. A uh, little Texan, a <laughs> little accent. But uh, we got this man on here, um, just a great investor, so much. You know, we are just meeting for the first time, actually, guys. You know, that's the tradition on this podcast. So I'm going to learn there right with you. So I'll let you take it away and you start where you want to in your journey and we'll go from there. So I'll start anywhere. Okay. okay. So um, I guess we'll just start like in the, in the last uh, decade. Cause I think that's really where for me, uh, if you think about your life in terms of epochs and like different periods of time, like where really important things happen, you have maybe high school and then you have college for a lot of people and then post-college and that first job. Um, so for me coming out of college, I went to college because it was a thing to do. It was from a very early age, my dad just kind of ingrained that it wasn't even an option, that I was going to go to college and it was a foregone conclusion. And so I did that, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do while I was there, which was fine. I knew I was a really bad employee though. Like at the end of the day, when it comes to working for other people, I've always been really, really bad at that. I think Bill Gates has a great quote, which is something to the effect of, if I have the choice between hiring a lazy A player or a hardworking B player, I'm going to choose the lazy A player because they figure out how to do the work quicker and with less energy. And so that was me. Like I was a lazy A player when it came to working for other people. I could get the job done, but I was always looking to figure out how can I get this done quicker so I can just chill and coast. But that didn't really jive with me and my personality because um, at the end of the day, I have this pretty strong desire to progress this, this feeling of like, if I'm not growing, if I'm not challenging myself, then I'm not really living up to my potential, which kind of like plays into Maslow's um, theory. So everybody I think is familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is, you know, you need to have like your physiological, then your psychological, and then your self-actualization needs met. But he had a really interesting quote, which was something to the effect of that, which we can be, we must be. And it's just recognizing this idea that which we can be, what's our potential. We have to achieve that. And if we're not moving towards achieving that, then we're filled with discontent. And that's where like a lot of unhappiness in life really manifests itself because we know we could be more than what we are. So I was never content just being a lazy employee for other people. So very early on, I I knew that wasn't going to be an option. Like going corporate wasn't going to do it for me. I had to figure out my own path through the world. And so I did that by going and rock climbing professionally for a couple of years, which allowed me the freedom just to live in the back of a van and the dirt and just, you know, travel the world, see all these beautiful places and challenge myself every day. But it wasn't until um, I tried to get married to a woman and I went to her parents and said, hey, can I marry your daughter? And they're like, well, how are you going to support her? It was the first time where I was like, huh, okay. Well, I've never really thought about money because I, I have just very low needs. Like I can just go live in the back of a, a van. Heck, just give me a tent or a sleeping bag. I'll be happy. Um, but it was the first time I ever had to like really answer that question. And 
So then I thought back and I was like, okay, what can I do? What skill sets do I have? And one of the skill sets that I have was the ability to write. And so from a young age, I was always writing stories. My dad really encouraged me to do that. And so I decided I'm just going to start writing books. And so the next day after that conversation, I started writing books and um, went on to publish uh, 12 novels and science fiction and fantasy, things with lasers. So like back here on the wall, that's one of them. And so just really focused on like telling that those types of stories and really enjoyed that. But then what ended up happening was after a couple of years of that, they say you need to be careful about like what you shoot for, like what you set your sights at because you might just get it. It's like the dog that catches the car. They chase after it and they finally get the bumper and they're like, I don't know what to do with it now. And that's kind of what happened with me with writing. I got all the success, but the lifestyle of writing is one where you just live in an office all day by yourself, just living inside your own brain telling stories. And they feel very real because you're interacting with the characters and they're living through you. But it's not very good for an introvert who is already kind of a hermit. And so I was just kind of like devolving and not really learning. Like I, I lost the ability to function in society. And so the writing, I was like, okay, well, this is, this is great. I've realized some success here. But long term, this isn't going to be great for me as an individual. I need to find something that's a little bit more meaningful and impactful and gets me outside of my comfort zone and gets me working with other people. So I went into business with some friends. We, um, they, they, had been, they had started a, a manufacturing company producing polyurethane rock climbing holds and importing hardware and things that when you go into an indoor climbing gym, all the things that you see there, we produce those. Mm-hmm. So I went into business with them. We started building that company. And that was really interesting because it was a whole new problem set to solve, like dealing with people, dealing with engineering issues, dealing with customers and how to sell, like much different than writing. And so I did that for a number of years and I'm still there actually at the moment. And then about three years ago, I started looking at real estate and the story I tell people, and this is probably not even true. I think sometimes we think back on our past and we like conjure up a, a meaningful moment, but I don't know if there's really ever a meaningful moment that led me into real estate. But the story I tell is this, that I was driving into downtown Minneapolis one day and there's a beautiful sunset behind the skyline. I looked up at the skyline and I thought, what's it take to buy a skyscraper? Like at that point, I knew very little about real estate. I had fixed and flipped a couple houses in college, but I, I like to say that I can swing a hammer, but I can't hit the nail. And so, you know, construction was never good for me. That was a very bad introduction to real estate because I was like, I hate this. Like, I don't want to build things with my hands. That's not a good use of my, my skill sets. And so that kind of turned me off for a long time. But that moment when I'm driving into the city, I'm looking at the skyline, I'm like, okay, what does it take to buy that? Like, I didn't even know, like, does a person, does a company, does like, is this an entity of some sort? Like I had no clue. And so just trying to solve and answer that question led me into learning more about real estate specifically. Then I got onto the trail of multifamily investing, which then like got really interesting to me because at its core, multifamily investing is like building with Legos. They only go together in so many different ways. The business model is really simple. And once you understand all the different ways they can go together, the sky's the limit. You can build anything. And so that's what we're doing now. Um, Joined forces with my now partner, Dan Kruger, and we've formed Invictus Capital at the end of last year. Um, We have about uh, 110 units under management at this point and uh, just continuing to grow up here in the Twin Cities. And so that takes you from when I'm living in the back of a van all the way up to currently, where I no longer live in a van. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking... He went from writing no novels to 12, just like that. Now, the bigger question I have to ask is, after you wrote the novels, did the parents say that you could then marry my daughter? 
Well, it's, it's so that's yeah. So that that relationship actually ended. Okay. Um, it, but, they did. Actually, was a, they did end was, up giving me approval. They did. But, they did. It was. A, it was a good. Start, it was a good starter to yeah, understand yeah. that you had to get your stuff together a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it was that moment where you know I'd always kind of lived in my own bubble and mm-hmm. thinking like I can make money. I have. I have the ability. I always had this like my dad instilled in me this deep um, confidence that no matter what happens in life, that I have the tool set to overcome that. And he did that from a very early age by a really interesting story kind of tied into that is like one, when I was in high school, I was like 15 years old and I was going to drive across Minnesota and Wisconsin to go to this formal dance with this girl. And when you're going to a dance with a girl, like you're very motivated to get there. But the morning that we left to make that drive, which is like eight hours, uh, there was a terrible, terrible Minnesota blizzard. We almost slid off the road three times before even like getting out of the cities. And so me and my sister and one of her friends, we all piled into a car. We did the road trip together and we made it about five hours. And then we get into a horrific car accident, just cracked over our, our, our Honda Civic little hatchback into mm-hmm. like two pieces, like an egg. Mm-hmm. So like going 80 miles an hour, ran into the back of a Ford Taurus. That Ford Taurus just got crumpled. It was terrible. We all go to the hospital my dad, my parents, they drive out to get us and I have a slight concussion and I'm in the hospital. I'm like, ah, dad, I still got to get there. Like I told her I'd be there. And he's like, well, you just have to find the solution. So he handed me a phone book and he's like, see if you can find a taxi, see if you can find a limo, see if there's a puddle jumper that's making the flight out there. He's like, if you want to get there badly enough, you'll find a way to get there. I was like, yeah, but I only got like $150 dad. And he's like, well then, you know, then it sounds like you're not getting there. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. So my parents, they left. And I'm still sitting there in the hospital, not really with a solution in mind. And then a nurse just kind of oversees my plight. And she's like, you know, I was heading there after work. Um, If you can wait until my shift gets done, I'll give you a ride. And so she did. Like, I got there just in time for the dance. But like, from the very early age, I always thought like, hey, my dad has faith that I can figure this out. And so I know I can figure this out. And so I kind of borrowed that from him a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when the parents were like, nah, like, you're not marrying our daughter yet, like, at that point, I was like, I can figure this out. Like, it was never really a big concern. I love that because I just had a conversation with somebody this morning. You know, I think the ultimate people in life that that really get to the next level is, is solution-based people, right? Not mm-hmm. a, people that see a problem as a problem. And it's funny to piggyback off of that story. I don't know why this popped up for me, but the moment that my ex-wife, she's now ex, but the moment at the time when we were engaged and I lost my job and that let her down, that was the first time in my life when I let somebody else down that wasn't me. And I literally cried for like two hours because that, the, that feeling of not, of understanding it's not about you anymore. Mm-hmm. And having that moment, I, I feel like was one of the bigger moments in my life to understand like when somebody puts their trust in you, we can pertain this to investors investing in your syndication. So many things when they put their trust in you, it's not about you anymore. It's about, you know, it's a bigger picture. And I think, you know, uh, a man or a woman or whatever has to have that moment in their life to understand that, that, that what your actions are bigger than your own. Yeah, definitely. When you're getting into the world of whether it's a relationship or a syndication, as you point out there, like if you're taking investors money, like, you have such a big responsibility to that person now. 
And you have the responsibility not just to do well by their money, but but do right by them as an individual. That you're going to do everything in your power to, you know, to satisfy the expectation that you set for them. And it's the same with a relationship, and that expectation is always growing mm-hmm. in a relationship. And that's one of the hard things I think that we get into trouble with is because we create these baselines and we say, hey, yeah, I'll marry you right now. Let's do this thing. And then that's like your baseline. And then the relationship grows and evolves. And then your commitment or how you're showing up doesn't grow and change and evolve with it over time mm-hmm. because you're still operating over that old baseline. It's mm-hmm. like when you think of like, I don't know about you, but you know, I have uh, a bunch of brothers and sisters. I have six sisters and two brothers. And when I think of them, like any one of them, I have them locked in at a certain age in my mind. Yeah. Like wow. my one sister, she's 12. Like, yeah. No, she's 32 at this point, but she's still 12 in my mind. Well, so it's like, that's your baseline. Yeah. I'll do you one better. And this, you haven't, I don't know your story enough to know, but I doubt that you have experienced this. So long story short, uh, I had a meth addiction. I was homeless. And then I was an alcoholic for 20 years. I've been sober for two uh, years. I've lost like 60 pounds. Do you know how hard it is to hang around my brother or my best friends that I know from mm-hmm. high school? And they only know me as drunk, jubilant Austin. And they're like, we don't know who this guy is. Like this dude that has a podcast, yeah. this guy. And, 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 and let me tell you something, that feeling, not knowing where you stand with people, man, it can mm-hmm. set you, if you're not comfortable in who you are, it can throw you off your game. I think that's what you're getting at. Like, yeah, Absolutely. Advice. And, and that's that's crazy too. Like because I'm not a big labels person. Like when I'm thinking about my life story, and somebody's like, "So tell me about your life story. Who are you? Like what do you do?" I'm like, "I don't know. There's not one thing." You could say I'm an author. I'm a business person. I'm a real estate investor. Like, like you could say all these different things. And so I don't like the label itself because it it locks you into that. And then people they get this idea of you in their mind, and they say, "Oh, Austin, the meth had." or Anthony, the, you know, whatever. And like, it's like, no, that's maybe who I was then, but it's not necessarily who I am now. It's really hard to break the shackles of other people's expectations. And so as much as possible, like I think in an ideal state, if we want to be really Buddhist or stoic about it, we say, well, Mm -hmm. don't, you know, let other people's expectations of you affect your expectations of yourself rise to like whatever the, the model is that you have for yourself. And that's the hardest part is that when you internalize like, Hey, I am an alcoholic, like that's, an impossible cycle to break until you break the cycle of like, okay, I don't have to be that. I can identify as something else. Well, I mean, I heard, I heard it put perfectly the other day and it's something I strive for, for my coaching clients, Brandon Turner. He said, listen, when I set my goals for the year, I wasn't, there wasn't like a bench or there wasn't like a weight I was trying to get to. I wanted to take on the lifestyle and identity of a person that was healthy and worked out every day. That's, Mm -hmm. that was it. I didn't have a time. I didn't have anything. So here's the problem. When you, when you discard your own labels, they might be discarded for you, but then you have to reaffirm who you are, but those labels haven't been discarded for people in your life mm-hmm. until you yeah, show it, up multiple times as the new version of yourself. That's where it gets tricky, but you have to be yeah. firm in that because they're waiting for you to fall back on who you were. But, but if you show up enough as this new version, they might, they might have to accept it or, you know, and you can't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it takes, like you said, it takes a lot of time. If you want to like change that expectation that people have created for you in your head, you can either do one of like three things. You can either, you know, not care about it and just keep doing what you're doing and be like, you're going to label me how you're ever going to label me. You can um, try your hardest to try and convince them that you're not that thing anymore. In which case, like on a long enough time frame, if you show up consistently and persistently, you can do that. Or um, three, you, you just cut them out of your life. 
if they're, if they're holding you back and yeah. tying you to that old image that you had for yourself, like say, say you're a smoker and you're like, I don't smoke anymore. You've made that decision. I'm not mm-hmm. a smoker, mm-hmm. but you're still hanging out with people who are like, Oh, you're a smoker. Um, let's go get a smoke. And like, no, no, I'm not doing that. Like, ah, you'll be back. Like if you're hanging out with people who are always saying like, ah, you'll be back. Like you're going to go back. And sure. so maybe you just need to cut them out, but that's a hard thing to do or in, maybe not cut them out entirely, but limit your exposure to them or surround yourself with new people that don't have that old baggage of mm-hmm. who you were. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of a fresh slate and that's hard with like family and really old friends, but sometimes like relationships have to grow and they have to evolve. And in the same way, you know, we're talking about this from like your, our own perspective, but we do this to other people as well. Like we mm-hmm. put our labels onto other people and then we kind of put them into a box and then we make it very hard for them because they feel that, that pressure for them to break out of that box. And I think what you probably do with your coaching a lot is helping people get out of that box that mm-hmm. they and the world has kind of put them inside of. Yeah. And so that, you know, or, being conscious of like how you're, how you're doing yeah. that to others. Or more importantly, the stories that they told themselves that put them in their own box. That's yep. the, that's the bigger thing. And I love this because we <laughs> look guys, if you want multifamily knowledge, go YouTube it or, or listen to a million <laughs> podcasts because half the time I get through my podcast, I'm like, did we even talk about real estate? Because this, <laughs> this conversation is so much more important because it's allowing you as a human, right? And I'm reading a book right now that my coach recommended to me. I don't know how I just found it, but it's, I, I'm recommending it to every human being, what you say when you talk to yourself. And it's basically talking about how to reprogram the subconscious brain and to remove the negative talk that you're having with yourself. So basically it's saying, if you want to quit smoking, you tell yourself, I'm not a smoker. And then over time, your subconscious, when you put a cigarette in your hand goes, you're not a smoker. Why do you have a cigarette Mm -hmm. in your hand? This works with everything. And the fact that there's two mindsets you can have, it's as simple as this. You can either be a fixed mindset, which will get you nowhere, or you can be what I think me and you are, which is a growth mindset and understanding that I am in, I am in hot pursuit of the, of the newest and best version of myself every day when I wake up and Mm -hmm. what I bring to the table. And I would imagine you do too, because you're a hard guy to put their hand on exactly, you know, where you operate, but there's no, there's no judgment for me. There's no judgment for me Mm -hmm. on anything. Look, if you want to go, and you want to get two single family residents and that gives you an extra 700 bucks a month and you love your job and you get to coach your kids, you know, and you get to be available for them. Like, dude, like, yes, let's go. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm sure you run into that all the time in the multifamily space, you know, cause everybody wants those, those unit numbers. They want to get up to a thousand mm-hmm. and 4,000. Right. And that maybe that's the case. And I think one of the guys that, I love, and I don't know if you know him, but Bruce Peterson, you know, we have dinner from yeah. time to time here in Austin. Apartment guy. Yeah. And he's like, Austin, I could have 4,000 units if I want. Like, I love my life now, but that takes, you have to know who you are to, to sit in that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not get caught up in the unit count number, which happens in multifamily all the time. Definitely. And, and, and I want to touch on that in a sec, but I want to go back to something mm-hmm. because this book that you're talking about, what you say when you talk to yourself, I, I haven't read it, but I want to touch on this because I think it's super critical. If you want to be successful, however you define that in life, it all really t- starts inside your brain because you're, you know, your mindset is the lens through which you see the world. Like reality as you know it is occurring inside this skull. And so how you perceive that is everything. And so like, I just want to talk about the neurobiology of this for a second, because Mm -hmm. it's fascinating with this idea. Like I, I used to coach, um, 
youth climbers. And one of our climbers is actually um, going on to the, the Olympics. It was supposed to be this year, but she's going to be there next year. And one of the things that we would always talk about is not coaching the negative and not reinforcing bad talk. So things like don't be afraid, that's not helpful, right? That's mm-hmm. coaching the negative. It's telling you what not to do, but it's not telling me what to do. And instead you're coaching, hey, be courageous when you're up there and you're afraid because climbing, there's going to be a lot of situations where you're afraid. It's not a moment to try and shut out the fear. It's a moment to rise above and display courage. And so that's the skill that you're practicing here is being courageous. And what happens in the brain is really interesting. Whenever you have a thought, like the first time you've ever had a thought, the, the neurons in your brain, they fire and they try to find the other neuron on the other side of the brain as you're making this thought for the first time. So it's kind of like you're driving across town to find your, this location. You're going to see a friend at their house, but you've never been there before. You just have some vague directions. And so you're kind of meandering. You're not taking the most efficient route. You finally get there, right? And now that you have that mental block of like where it is generally, those neurons, they found each other. It took a little bit to get there the first time, but now that they know where they are in relation to each other, every subsequent time that you have that thought, let's say that's, I'm a smoker. Every time you then have that thought, it gets easier and easier for those neurons to find each other. And what ends up happening is the brain then says, hey, this person's having this thought so frequently, we should probably do something about that to make it even more efficient because it must be an important thought. And so then what the brain does is it coats that neuronal pathway in what's called myelin sheath, which is like a fatty white substance, which acts like fiber optics. And now that thought is transferring across the brain at lightning speeds relative to what it was before all because you just kept reinforcing it over and over. And so you can undo that, but it becomes very difficult once you've instilled these negative self-talk. But you can you can encode these positive codes in the same way just by having it frequently. And it might feel like you're showing up and just, you know, faking it until you make it. But there's a lot of, you know, neuronal neurobiology science behind supporting why that actually does work. So saying, hey, I'm a grateful, exuberant, friendly person. Like even if you don't feel like you're very grateful or very outgoing or that you don't really want to be around people, but you tell yourself that enough times and your brain will start to light up those pathways. Are you sure you do multifamily or not? A, you're not a neuroscientist, but, but listen, so, to, yeah. to, to hit on that, to hit on that, look, they, they, they say that your subconscious doesn't understand the difference between reality and fake. So why <laughs> wouldn't you just give it positive reinforcement and then you're going to reprogram your brain to believe that you can do anything you want to do, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I couldn't say this more. I tell I'm blue in the face. You're, you are your thoughts. Like, you are your thoughts. And, the, and, and my favorite thing to do, I don't know why I have such a gift about it, but I'll sit in a mastermind and somebody will do, say, a negative talk. Like, that one word. And I'm like, nope. And I'll just yell out across the room. Nope. Rephrase. <laughs> And they're like, how'd you catch it? And I'm like, because I was a bartender for 20 years. The second of all, I used to talk to myself that way. And it wasn't until I changed the conversation in here that I started changing the way. And what they have to understand is this was 2 a.m. listening to Gary V. This was 4 Mm -hmm. a.m. hitting the track at 50 degree weather, running, listening to Imagine Dragons. Like there was a lot of behind the scenes, deep work, spiritual work, uh, coaching work, you know, all these things. And you can't just flip a switch on, you know, but, but over time you're building up the self-awareness to take the, what I think is the number one, one of the number one problems for people is I think they self-sabotage all the time. Mm. Like it's going real good and they're just waiting for that shoe to drop because they're so used to the past 
And the thing is, is that with your thoughts aligned and who you are surrounded by the right people, you can create a new future that doesn't exist in your previous uh, consciousness, I guess, to, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. Yeah, it's it's that that cliche phrase, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And it's it's absolutely true. And that self-talk is it's hard to catch because it's in your head. You're having it constantly. And so it's so second nature to you. One of the one of the best ways, if not the best way to break out of that is surrounding yourself with people who can objectively call you out and say, no, 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 no. Listen to yourself right now. Listen to what you just said. Because, you know, even even myself, who I consider to like be very self-positive, I still say things where if somebody was to call me out in the moment, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I am, I am hedging. I am leaving room for you yeah. know, doubt or for failure. Yeah. Like, uh, like at the beginning of this conversation before we went live, I, I, I started our conversation by saying, my girlfriend and I, starting this month, we're trying the whole foods diet. You know, yeah. and even there, like we're trying, not doing. Yeah. Like we're not, yeah. somebody could have called me out on that and been like, yeah. well, you know, do or do not. There is no try. And we're like, yeah, okay, you, know, you got that. Yeah. And so, but there's a lot of truth in that. And so the only way to get better is to like to build the muscle and just keep practicing it and be and be forgiving with yourself because you know at the end of the day you are your harshest critic you might think that there are people out there who are harsher critics of you but it's not true it's all in your head you are the worst no and i just got off the phone with a guy very nice guy listen to the podcast reached out to me said hey man I'm, i'm i'm 22 days sober you know i just had a baby a year ago like i'm a multifamily broker i'm trying to build my thing like all these things right and he's like Mm -hmm. laying on to all these things he's doing and I was like, how old are you, man? He's like, I'm 32. I was like, awesome. I was like, you have 60 more years. What's the rush? I was like, have you even maximized out who you are as a broker or as a father or as a husband? No. So I get it. You're trying to prove everybody that you're not that guy anymore, but it's going to take a day in, day out um, commitment to consistency of small habits to create the big change that you're searching for. And I think that's where a lot of young investors or people trying to get out of their nine to fives. I I think they try to do it all in a month span or a two month span. Like, you know, me losing this weight was was two years and I'm not even where I want to be. So, you know, this is, this is a life, you know, journey. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and as you get, and, and I'll let everybody in on a secret because I'm about to be 39 next week. When you get older, it takes longer. <laughs> so, so make sure you set it up yeah. good when you're younger. Cause it's, it's a, it's, it's a SOB when it gets, when you get older for sure. And that gets back to the baseline, right? Like we're all 25 in our head and fit and young and like we recover much better than you do when you start getting older. You're like, Oh yeah. man, I remember the you're good like, old days. It, well, you're like, is it rainy outside? I think my knee, you know, it's ah, like, I feel, yeah. I feel it in the old joints. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, going back to, to that idea of like, it's uh we, uh, we, what is it? We overestimate what we can achieve in a year but underestimate what we can achieve in five years. And that's true. We, we live on really short timeframes, generally speaking. But when we're talking about the really big, impactful, meaningful changes that occur both in ourselves or in our big career and our lives, like, yeah, you can have 10x change. You can do it really quickly. But sustainable change, great sustainable change, it's usually pretty slow. It's usually pretty tedious and it usually occurs after many, many iterations and a whole lot of compounding interest. And if you don't put in the time and you don't do it consistently and show up every single day for it, then it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen now. It's not going to happen in five years. But the, the, the plus side is you don't have to do a lot. Like really small incremental changes applied daily can add up to massive changes 
in, in just a year, maybe five years, and in 10 years? Like, who could you be in 10 years if every single day you just got incrementally better? And the way I think about this, it goes back to Maslow's idea of like, who we can be, we must be. And he visualized this by thinking of yourself standing on a road and in front of you, off into the distance, there are road signs at intermittent distances. And each one says plus one, plus two, plus three. And then you turn around behind you and it's the same thing, road signs off into the distance. But these ones are negative one, negative two, negative three. And the idea is if you were to be your perfect best self in life, then every decision you ever made, you would only be moving forward. You'd be plus one here, plus one there, plus one here but we're not perfect. And so we end up making bad decisions, things that aren't moving us forward, they move us backwards. And not only do we move backwards, let's say we move back negative one, that's not just moving back one, that actually removes the opportunity cost of having moved forward one, Mm -hmm. right? And so now we're two behind where we could have been. And that's really scary. So you'll never catch your best self. They have a head start, you're never gonna get there. But what you can do right now is to start making those better decisions and treat each decision as an opportunity to go plus one. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's, hey, you know what, today I'm going to drink a gallon of water. That's mm-hmm. going to be my plus one. Today I'm going to get out of bed when I say I'm going to get out of bed, whatever time that is for you. If that's five, great. If that's 10, whatever. Like you get out of bed when you say you're going to get out of bed. You set that intention or you're going to go and exercise. These are plus ones or I'm going to show up for my family and my friends. That's a plus one. And so if you think about your days and say, okay, today my goal, I'm just going to try to end the day plus one, plus one better. And yeah, I'm going to make some bad decisions. They're going to move me backwards. but at the end of the day, I'm going to be plus one better. And you do that on a consistent enough time frame, and you will not recognize the person that you become in a five-year, 10-year time frame. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, the, the, the issue is, is that there's so much shame associated around maybe who they were or who they, you know, they, the distance between who they currently are and where they want to go is so big mm-hmm. that they try, to, they try to get it all in, in one month. And that's kind of the genesis to the podcast is, you know, we're not building a diet. We're not building a quick fix. We're not building a a real estate transaction. We're building a lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. like I was in Costa Rica, right, for for 10 days. And I was looking at real estate because it's always been my dream. I I run a big Airbnb company. It's been my dream to own a hotel. And people kept messaging me like, dude, just relax. Like stop looking at real estate. I'm like, hey, fuck off. Like, this is what I do. Everywhere I yep. am, I look at real estate because it's my lifestyle. I'm an investor. It's, I'm always looking for opportunity. Doesn't mean I'm going to buy. It just means that I'm, I'm available for it. And when, when you can cultivate a lifestyle that is yours and you can dial that in and, and improve on that incrementally every month or every year, then I, I really think you set yourself up to be available right? For the opportunity. Cause I had, I had an epiphany the other day. Sometimes when I'm working with my hands, weird shit comes in my head, but I've had a fucking shitstorm of a fucking year, but I'm like also had the best year of my life. Like I got divorced. I got laid off. I moved across the country twice. Like I started the podcast, like so many things have happened good or bad, indifferent. Whatever. But I thought to myself, if everything that I wanted to happen this year, I wouldn't have the life that I had right now. And what I mean is the universe destroyed so many things that I wanted to happen that, that it have made me available to step into this life that I'm living currently. And I think we don't associate the good and the bad. We only focus on the good and understand that maybe that thing that you wanted, right, wasn't the actual thing that you needed and the universe was mm-hmm. setting you up. Because I, I tell everybody this, the universe is undefeated. 
it, it always wins. And my buddy said, like, the best things that ever happened in his life, he never won it. <laughs> like, because, because he didn't, you know, because he wanted it, meaning that he, like, he forced it or focused on it or something like that. You know, it's just, it's, it's the truth. Yeah, this reminds me of um, the, the Buddhist concept of, like, duality. Like, the duality of existence. And you can only know one thing by also understanding its opposite. Mm-hmm. And if that's, you know, if, yeah, things are going good in life, but that's only because you understand the opposite of good is bad. And you understand mm-hmm. that, you know, the opposite of thriving is suffering. And because you have that context, because you understand what suffering is, you can appreciate the, the positive when it does occur. But the problem is that we look at suffering in the moment and we, we just focus on that in the short term and say, hey, I'm suffering right now. I don't want to suffer anymore. Well, yeah, in a perfect world, that's the ideal. Like nobody would ever suffer. But if you can't actually understand pleasure without that suffering, then you have to take the good with the bad. And that's like a real cliche answer, but it's, it's definitely the truth. So if you can look to those moments where life is not going as planned, like 2020 for a lot of people did not go how they thought it would. Right. And you can either look at that and really dwell and be living in that misery and in the suffering or just accept it and say, okay, it's in this misery. It's in this suffering. It's in this um, discontent that ultimately I'm going to find the happiness and the pleasure. And then it's on you to go and find that happiness, that pleasure. And this is where, again, things get really tricky. Um, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite authors is Nassim Taleb and his book fooled by randomness really talks about this idea that we falsely equate when we look back on our lives, the fact that something did happen, that it was for destined or that it was going to always happen or that the probability of it happening was always so high. But in reality, we don't have a good understanding of how things happened or what the likelihood of them happening were. Like 2020, we look back on that, we might say 100% certainty, this is how it was always going to play out. But maybe it was only a 1% certainty. And so we don't have a good idea of what the decisions or the events or how complex it all is to lead us to where we are. If I look back on my life, you know, that girl, she didn't end up marrying me, right? And she left me. And then I ended up living in a van, but not because I was climbing anymore. I was kicked out of the house and I had nowhere else to go. And so I lived in a van for four months, right? Like I can look at that and say, that was a really negative experience. But if I go back even further when I was choosing to live in a van, and that's not like the most comfortable place to be living, well, then it made it much more easy when I got to that place in the future. And so like, you just can't track back and say, oh, because this happened, that was going to happen. And therefore I'm going to end at this place. And so it's like your friend's point, like, you know, a lot of the terrible things that occur to us, like that's actually laying the groundwork for getting us to the destination we didn't even know we wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. And then being able to appreciate it when you do get there. But, yeah. but, but to, to put a bow, I mean, I could talk to you for seven and a half hours. I don't even, <laughs> half the time I, my brain is like, it's too much. Cause I think you might be a scientist, also a multifamily guy too. But yeah, I, so when I went to school, yeah, I do have a master's in psychology. So that was okay. Psychology, I knew it. I picked up. I knew I picked up a bunch of degrees. Um, <laughs> psychology. <laughs> I'm so I'm super fascinated with human behavior, habits, I, it's, look, the idea I, of success. Dude, and it's like, the it's the only thing I care about. Like, fa- yeah. like uh, paying attention. Like, I don't think enough investors, and I mean this, especially when you're doing it on a large scale, multifamily, like large multifamily. I don't think enough investors are tapped into human behavior. And the movement of the the United States and what we're about to see, guys, I'm going to let you in on a secret, is we've been having urbanization for the last 20 years and you've been seeing downtowns explode with the change of working from home and people getting away from New York and California and the rents going to the roof. You're about to see an 
a switch around, which wasn't supposed to happen for years. And that's why you're hearing from all my buddies that Kansas City, Louisville, Indiana, Indi- Indianapolis is exploding with growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tahoe, uh, Idaho, Wyoming. You have to follow these trends. This matters because if you're investing within the year, in two years, you're going to be outdated on your data. Like the way I look at stuff is I want to see five, 10, 30 year trends that I'm trying to stay ahead of. Am I off mm-hmm. base with that or not? No, I totally agree. And like to the, the tie this back to the idea that, you know, I started this conversation by saying when I started getting into real estate and multifamily, I was really attracted to it because it's simple. Like the, the mechanics of how the whole, all the pieces go together, they're really simple. Mm-hmm. The hardest part, the most complicated part are the people. And mm. this is the truth of any business, uh, whether you're in manufacturing or you're an author, like it's always the people that you're dealing with. And if you don't understand their motivations, their wants, needs, and desires in this world, or your own wants, needs, and desires in this world, then you're going to find a lot of friction. Relationships, I'm sorry, real estate is all about the relationships. And if, you, if you're not able to connect with the other person, get inside their head, and, and try to craft out these win-win situations, then you're not going to go very far. In the same way, like understanding macro psychological trends of like, okay, now the deurbanization of these major metropolitan areas, what does that mean? Why are people doing that? Are they doing it because they're scared? Or are they doing it because there's more opportunity in these other areas? Because that's going to tell you a lot. If people are moving to an area because they're afraid of the other area, well, is there some likelihood if that area ever goes back to how it was that they'll go back because they had the opportunity, had less nostalgic feel, or are they leaving because the opportunity is leaving? So like in Silicon Valley, a lot of businesses are leaving there. They're going down to Austin, they're going down to Phoenix and down to Nashville and they're leaving, the opportunity is leaving. And so when people leave and follow that, they're not going back unless there's a really good reason to go back. Whereas in New York, people might be leaving New York, but if they're leaving because they're afraid of like the current, pandemic situation well that's a short-term thing maybe that lifts and they're no longer afraid so they go back because the opportunity still lives there and so there's a lot of different ways you could break it down but if you don't try to get to the underlying root causes of like why people do what people do you're just going to be swimming upstream all day long well it's like i live just south of austin i lived in austin for nine years san antonio for four that's where my properties are but i i grew up in houston and i'm you know i know texas very well and everybody's like well you know texas is like blowing up and everything. And like, I'm like, that's great. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and don't get me wrong. It is like, trust me, I've watched it happen in front of me. I watched it happen with my properties, but what I hold my hat on is every time you look at the job growth in Texas and that's where I go. Okay. Like no matter where the economy goes, we have jobs. Mm-hmm. So if you have jobs, people are getting paid. Well, people are getting paid. They're buying goods and services and they're buying houses. So that's where you have to see the bigger picture And the way I looked at it is I don't have the money that other guys do, institutional guys or whatever. So I have to stay five to seven years to 10 years ahead of the curve to catch the the progression, to catch the upside, right? And so I think if you are an investor and you stop worrying about transactional um, wins and understand the long game of it, you know, it's funny, man. I'm sure you've ran into people from time to time. I'll, I'll meet random people. And he's like, you know, he's like 50 years old. He's like, I'm like, what do you do, man? He's like, well, I own this tire shop. I've had it for like 30 years. I'm like, awesome, man. He's like, and he'll like slide it under his mouth. And he's like, oh yeah. And I own like 67 houses. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, huh? And he's like, yeah, I don't really talk about that much, but they're all paid off. And like, I'm good. (laughs) 
And it just cracks me up because it happens more than you think. Mm-hmm. And we're so worried about the dudes that are on Instagram, right? Yeah. That yeah. Are, are flouting their mouths. But there are regular people that understand the game because so one of the things I'm passionate about it, and it's not, this is probably one of the bigger things I care about is the financial literacy of America is piss poor to be, would be an understanding. It's pretty low. Yeah. And, 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 and so we're going to get with my buddy who runs like 50 billion for UT and these other guys. And we're going to, we're going to teach a, a charity course or whatever you want to call it for middle school and high school kids because it wasn't until I worked private equity that I understood I didn't know what the hell money was either. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and when COVID hit and Blackstone stopped lending to people, you know, I was talking to Chris Grinzik over at, at Toro on our podcast, like nobody understands how money works. Like, mm-hmm. because it's not so much that the money dried up, it's that the chicken farmer couldn't produce the chicken, that, that, that the feed costs went up. And the lumber, you know, it's like, I talked to my boy and he's like, well, lumber's going up. So we're buying rainforests in, in, in Brazil. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? Like, oh, you're buying the wood while it's still in the ground before people build stuff out of it. Oh, that's next level stuff. And I, I, I think that people, you know, and you have to get around those guys to understand that there's, there's so many layers to the, to the financial. And then I hear from people that they don't even know what a, what a loan is or what, like what a credit card is. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, we got work to do. Like, yeah. Or even just like understanding the concept of, of credit and what that can do for you. A lot of people are scared of credit. They've been told be, you know, don't have a credit card or anything like that. I think if you, if you pay attention to, I'm not a big, I'm not a big proponent of macroeconomics. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of micro understanding like the root fundamentals of how an economy works. So like basic supply and demand. And so when you're talking about Austin and Texas always being strong because they got the jobs, like it's the simplest reason, but it's the best reason. Mm -hmm. And so, but when it comes to money, yeah, money is a super, super fascinating idea. And like, I would, if you want to be a successful real estate investor, here's your tactical advice is go spend some time reading some books and watching some blog or some videos and just studying what money is and how it works, where it came from. Um, there's some really great books I could recommend. The Ascent of Money um, is a fantastic one. Sapiens, actually, by Yuval Harari, it, is, it talks quite a bit about money. And I would recommend those books to just understand like where it came from, why it's so important. And once you understand that it's not all just about like how many dollars are in the bank, it's about what you control and what you can leverage with that control. And so one of the things that you'll find with like really wealthy individuals is that maybe they don't actually own all that much, but they control a whole lot. And so if you can control supply chains or logistics, like that's a really powerful thing, not really tied to money per se, but I think people get it in their heads. Like I need to be a millionaire. Like, well, do you need to be a millionaire or do you just need to control millions? That's a different thing. Well, I heard it. This guy who studies billionaires, he said, do you want to spend a million dollars or do you want to be a million dollars? You want to be a millionaire. Yeah. And, and what people don't understand is I have a buddy, right, uh, in uh, California who runs uh, supply trains for uh, 18-wheelers for, for um, whatever you want to call it, for grocery stores. And mm-hmm. obviously, he's been <laughs> a little busy during COVID. And uh, he said, listen, it's really weird. He's like, I'm sitting there. And he got out of whatever. I'll let him tell his own story. But he got out of that situation. <laughs> and he's sitting there and he's going, Oh, okay. Like you just have to buy routes and become like good at it and treat your clients good. And then you get more routes. And so he's like, okay. And then he built this business up to like $8 million. And like people are so concerned about like 
well, I need to own that. And I need to like, like I have, I get coaching clients is my favorite one. I'm like, they're like 23 and they're like, Oh, you know, I'd like to own like two houses by him while I'm 30. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, we're going to change those goals just a touch. Like, how about, how about we focus on like a 15 unit or a 12 unit and we crush those goals in like six months. And they're like, you can do that. And I'm like, yeah, you can do that just like that. And they're like, <laughs> And, but, but it's like, but you only have access to what you know, and it's by getting around people that are smarter than you instead of staying in your comfort zone. And, you know, <laughs> my, my financial advisor <laughs> is 27 and he manages $2 billion. And half the time I have no idea what he's talking about, but some of that stuff has seeped through <clears throat> and I'm like, okay, like this, these are the rooms that you need to be in because these mm-hmm. are the conversations that elevate the knowledge that you exist in. And in this conversation, I mean, like I'm going to go back and listen to it has elevated me. So if people wanted to find out about uh, where you are located or your, your, your real estate company, how would they do that? Yeah. So uh, check us out at InvictusMultifamily.com. Um, right now we have a free quick start guide over there. If you're interested in learning how to passively invest in real estate, because I think real estate is a fantastic investment vehicle, but it's not for everybody on the active side. Like you're a busy professional. Maybe you have a family that you want to spend more time with and you want to participate in real estate, but you don't know exactly what that looks like. And you don't want to deal with the tenants. Go check out that free resource. It's going to educate you. Take you from not really knowing what you're doing as a person on the outside looking in at this kind of scary industry and be like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. And it's going to simplify it for you in a way that lets you actually take action by the end. So I would, I would check that out. And then I, I do want to say this because you, you kind of touched on it real quickly is this idea of like, do I need a million dollars for this reason or for that reason? Or how much do I need? Just are you dreaming your own dream? Ask yourself that. Mm-hmm. Or are you dreaming somebody else's dream? the American dream of like having a white picket fence and a house and two dogs and a kid and like whatever it is. Like ask yourself, are you dreaming your own dream? And maybe, maybe you're not. And if not, then sit down with yourself and try and figure that out before you go and do anything else. Because until you know what your dream is, where you're trying to head until you know what your desired outcome is, it's really hard to make forward progress. No, it's dude. Like people think I'm joking, but this really does happen. Like I get DMs and they're like, why are you traveling so much? And I'm like, <laughs> cause I like it. I don't it's like, <laughs> you know, but like, that's me. Right. And, and the reason that they have a hard time with it is maybe they want to do it. Right. Or maybe it doesn't seem like the normal thing. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but that's, but that's what makes me happy. So, but, but understand that it's taken, you know, it's taken 30, 37 years to understand that that's what I like to do. Now that being said, that being said, you know, things are changing and I, I do want to put some roots down and, and like, but we'll have multiple houses because it's my business. Like this is what we do, vacation rentals. But you're hundred percent right. And if you're building your dreams for somebody else, they will crumble and they will crumble hard and you will lose money and you'll probably lose relationships because it's built on a shaky foundation and Absolutely. you have to build it on a firm foundation. And so a lot of the work, guys, what this whole conversation was is I just had this conversation with a guy earlier today. We're not building. I don't care. Go, go, go listen to Jake and Gino, you know, and get in their group. If you want to learn multifamily, cause I can teach you, but I, I don't want to, because I'm trying to build the life version of you, meaning health, mind, spirit, body. And then let's go from there. And then we can layer on the, the weapons necessary to, to deploy capital. Right. I think that's where everybody has it wrong. They, they work from the outside in instead of the inside out. Yeah, I couldn't agree 
any any more than that like it all starts with you if you like regardless of what it is that you're trying to build in this life start with you like mm-hmm. the thing that you should be focused on building is the best version of you possible mm-hmm. and and more importantly just so i can get it in one more time invest in yourself right like i watched that thing with zach efron and he's like oh you know the water makes up like 60 percent of our body and yet we don't pay attention to it at all well guess what you spending the money on a playstation 5 and not spending the money on uh, a coaching course or a multifamily course or something, a book, right? Like mm-hmm. invest in who you are and, and make sure that that is, as, as Gino Barbaro would say, make sure that you view that as an actual investment and then, and then pour it into yourself. And, and for me, that's books and my coach. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. what I do and it expands my mind. And I think it's super important. That's why I have to say it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, guys. If you like this episode, make sure you send it out to your friends. And uh, we thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Construct Your Life with Austin Lenny. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to start constructing your life by taking immediate action on what you learned. For show notes, resources, and more information on one-on-one coaching with Austin, visit constructyourlifepodcast.com.